You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. morning, Charlotte Greenway Infinite today on Friday the 17th of November, the first day of the Cheltenham Paddy Power meeting and Lydia Hislop and I will be looking at that in some detail with input from Joe Tizard and also we'll be discussing this weekend's action from Navin with comments from Paul Townend on his rides and Henry de Bromhead on some of his runners. But starting with Cheltenham and this morning I thought I'd best get a quick update on the ground from Clark of the Course John Pullen as he was out walking the track. Yes, we're in good shape. We had a dry day through the day yesterday um, and just two mil overnight. So both the old course and cross-country course are currently good to soft and soft in places. And the weather forecast for the weekend, um, from what I can see, it looks like it could be rather wet. What what are you expecting? Yes, that's it. Indications are that we should see uh, sort of a significant band of rain this evening, probably from around eight o'clock tonight and right through until maybe 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. And that could deliver sort of double digit rainfall amounts um you know if we get that uh, or anywhere near that then obviously that will have an impact on on ground for tomorrow and sunday and but no concerns over the amount of rain that's forecast not not at this stage as i say you know we, we could see sort of you know seven to twelve mil if we're at the top end of that then obviously we'll be you know soft ground um but uh there's nothing more than that in the forecast at this stage so we'll, we'll keep a, a watching brief um once that rain's cleared tomorrow morning, we may just get the odd shower during tomorrow afternoon. And then it's similar for Sunday, just sort of light showers potentially. So, you know, if if, uh, if, that, if the forecast is correct, then we shouldn't see anything too significant after tonight. Well, that's good news as well for, for race goers for tomorrow. So it's only, it's only going to be showers, hopefully, during the racing. Yes, that's it. Yes. Perfect. Well, John, thanks so much for the update. And uh, yeah, I hope it all goes well over the next three days. Thanks very much. Lydia Hislop is now alongside me and Lydia will of course start with Cheltenham where you are and have been for the last couple of days and I think we'll first dive into today's cross-country race because there's a great clash there between Delta Work and Galvin who were 1-2 in the race at the Cheltenham Festival. Who are you siding with this time around? Well the first thing to say that this is a handicap chase and therefore much more interesting than the festival's end event which is not a handicap chase it's a level weight contest and I mean, I'm, I'm not alone in thinking that that is it results in a race that is far less competitive than it should be and recently Gordon Elliott has been farming it and he might continue to farm it where, where a handicap I'm sure both Galvin and Delta Work will run well but We've had in previous years Delta Work running around grade ones, then turning up in the cross-country chase, going on to the Grand National, winning the cross-country chase. We had Galvin doing the same last year. He finished second to Delta Work. This time around, we'll be expecting Conflated to do the same, although he might have competition from Manila Indo at Henry de Bromhead's yard for that. I mean, the... the cross-country chase at the festival has started to become what happens to are or are now too old to win a gold cup prior to them heading generally towards the, the grand national however that does mean that the um 
I don't know whether old-fashioned is the right word, seeing as that in, in Britain, at least, we're, we're, it's still a relatively new thing. But your, your classic cross-country chaser is the are the horses that lose out at the festival. And I think if you want a, a more competitive race and a more um, democratic race, that the festival's cross-country chase should be a handicap. So I slightly digress. But I, I'm in very much enjoying, I'm looking forward to today, the fact that both Delta Work and Galvin are turning up very much adds to the race. But we've got some absolute stalwarts in the race there as well, the likes of Back on the Lash and Diesel Dallier, uh, Foxy Jacks as well. So that should be that should be a, a really interesting contest, I think. You'd be expecting... Um, you know, Delta worked to win extremely well, but it, it is first time out. We've also got the likes of Late Night Pass, who's going to be uh, quite difficult to um, assess because it'll be his first cross country. He, of course, won the Fox Hunters at Aintree two seasons ago and finished fourth in it last year. Yeah, he certainly could be very interesting in this discipline. Uh, looking at the Arkle trial, there's only four runners. Is that disappointing and probably expected? It's suspected ahead of time and it's reflective of the quality of horses in particular that we have in Britain at the moment and the paucity of horses at the kind of level which would stir the blood for an Arkle trial. However, that said, within this race, just the four of them setting up, there's plenty of interest. Uh, JPR1 always looked like he was going to be a decent horse as a, as a novice hurdler. He ran pretty well the couple of times that we saw him last season um, as a, a handicap hurdler. And... Um, he won his chase debut at Newton, Newton Abbott in a, a way that suggested there was more to come. Mighty Tom, who has been transformed by Keen Collins, well, he ran um, second to, uh, let's, let's be honest about it, uh, last time out. That horse rather outclassed him, but he ran pretty well. Got a slightly awkward head carriage. I wonder whether he might be, need to be smuggled into the race uh, by uh, Danny Gilligan, who's had a bit of a breakthrough season, particularly for Gordon Elliott over the summer. And then there's Petit Tonnerre for John Joanneal, who's always looked like uh, he should make it as a chaser. You could possibly question whether he's made enough impact late on in terms uh, in terms of his races but he's ran he ran last season in a series of high class handicap hurdles and ran as though there was more to come and it might be looking at his frame and thinking about how a chase develops as opposed to a a hurdle race typically uh, he might well take a big step forward in the um, Arkle Novices chase so I mean yes forerunners it's ongoing uh, you know red, red light for those people who uh, run horse racing to grasp the nettle of making sure that horses that we need for these con- kind of contests actually a exist and b uh, run uh, uh, in and are trained in Britain. Um, but it's probably uh, the best that we could muster at this point in time. Well, with this race in mind, I caught up with the trainer of JPR One, Joe Tizard, just a few moments ago to talk about his chances. But first, we reflected on the success of Elixir de Nuts this week who won the Holden Gold Cup at Exeter and was ridden by Joe's nephew, Freddie Jindal. And I put it to Joe that that must have been quite a special day. Yeah, it was, um, it was a really lovely day. Um, you know, it was a, we had it, we had it flagged up for Elixir and he always needs his first runs. We gave him a run at Chapso three weeks before and, you know, I don't think it was the strongest renewals of the, of the Holden Gold Cup and um, it kind of fell right for the horse. But, um you know, we, we Fred scored to us on the Wednesday morning. Pounds off him and, and 
um, it was just a lovely day. Freddie's really like really clicked in the last or six weeks. He's been good, but he's he's clicked even more in the last six weeks. And he gave him a real positive ride, and he asked him to jump. and And obviously, that was that was a fantastic day and lovely for Terry Warner, who you know he had two of his grandchildren down there with him, and um, and Dad came down, and I was there with, with Rachel, my wife, and my little boy, and it was just a that was a special day. And you might get another another special afternoon today at Cheltenham because Freddie rides your runner in the first off to a flyer in the conditional jockey's handicap hurdle. He ended last season with a win. He's only six. So do you think there's still plenty more to come from him? Yeah, I'm sure there's more to come for him. Um, you know, his best performance yet was up at air at the end of last season. And you know, we've been very patient with him. Um, this This is a it looks an ultra competitive boys race at Cheltenham, you know. So, but it, But at the same time, um, the horse is in good form. I, I'm, I'm not going to hang about too long before I go chasing with him, but the horse is in good form and, and everybody was keen to, to have a run here. Um, you know, they're, they're, the horses are fit enough fit enough now. They've been in long enough. and um, he's, So he shouldn't disgrace himself, but, you know, it, is, it looks a very competitive race on paper. And Triple Trade, he was uh, he runs in, in the 145 in a handicap chase over two miles. He was second over course and distance three weeks ago. Do you think he'll have stepped forward from that run? Yeah, I'm sure he's stepped forward. Most most of them that were my horse that were running then have, have improved for a run. Um, he seems to improve at home as well. So, um, we, you know, we, in time I will step him up and trip a little bit, but I just fought slightly softer ground today. And, um, you know, with the run under belt, hopefully he'll just travel up. It's a bit easier with Brendan so we can sit nice and handy, know him for well, gallop right through the line. And um, he proved he handled the course that well. So, um I'd be disappointed if he's not he's not in the first three in the shake-up today. Yeah, because he's won over two and a half, hasn't he? So he'd be pretty versatile and plenty of options going forward. Yeah, but it just I just felt that where where we are at the moment, you know, he's the two mile the two mile you know naught to one fifties are slightly softer than the two and a half mile races. So um, you know, when, as the ground's getting softer, he doesn't he doesn't need to step up for a minute. You know, he's good enough over two, and we'll step him up when we kind of need to. And I'm sure probably the horse you're most looking forward to, to running this afternoon is JPR1 in the Arkle trial. I remember as a novice, he was a horse you thought an awful lot of. Um, he's had a little bit of an issue, obviously, but he looked like he took defences really well uh, at Newton Abbott first time. Yeah, he jumped super. Um, you know, I wanted to just get, get a run into him. Um and like he's definitely sharpened up for it. I mean, this is this is taking taking the next step for him, but it's not the it's not the strongest renewal of a of a grade of a grade two we've we've come across. So um, you know, I I can't wait to run him. Um, it was kind of a blessing twelve months ago that he just pulled muscles in in his back end, you know. So it just sort of stopped us running the first half of the season, and and off the back of that, we've we've kept him to a, a novice chase until this year. So he's a six year old ready to to go about his business and um, looks like a lovely next step for him. Yeah, he's the lowest rated in the field, but he looks like he'll go off favourite. Do you think that's sort of a true reflection of the potential that he's got? Um, no, you know, we've always held him in, in high regard and we think that, you know, he's capable of, of being in these in these top-class novice races. So um, I thought it was a lovely first performance over fences and... Um, I, I see no reason why why he won't shouldn't improve for it. So you know, on the ratings he has to, but 
um, it looks a lovely next step for him. And just looking ahead to what sort of future he might have, do you see him as an out-and-out two-milers who sort of be an Arkel horse, or could he could he step up in trip over two and a half and be seen as something like the Turners? I think I think he, he could he could step up in trip in time, but at the moment, you know, especially in Newton Abbott last time, with the way he jumped and and travelled, he's um, he, again he doesn't need to step up for a minute. So we'll leave him at two for now, and we'll we'll just sort of step him up when he tells us he needs to. And also, just quickly, Joe, before you go, uh, Sunset Marquesa in the listed mare's bumper tomorrow. She looked like she won quite a hot renewal at Aintree. Is she one you quite like at home? Yeah, we've always quite liked her. She's a walk in the park filly. Um, she's always gone nicely. Um, you know, did I think she was going to go and win her bumper first time out like that? No, I didn't, but, the, but, but she'd always gone nicely at home. So... You know, it's a chance. You know, we're taking a big step. You know, but there's a list of races, chance to get some black type with her, um, and we'll. This will sort of tell us where we go from now. If um, if we stay, if we stay bumping for a bit longer, or, or we or we go on and jump a jump a hurdle. But she's only a four year old, and I'm kind of mindful that I don't want to rush her too much. Well, Joe, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, best of luck over the next three days. I hope they all run well. Lovely. Thanks very much. Well, Lydia, I don't think we can move on from today's racing at Cheltenham without giving Captain Teague a mention because he's comes from the Paul Nichols yard with a big reputation and he'll be ridden by Harry Cobden in the two mile five trusted trader novice hurdle grade two at 3.30. He could be a horse to follow this season, don't you think, Lydia? He made a big impression on his uh, on his hurdles debut at Chepstow. Very much so. He's got to concede weight all round, but he made his debut in the Persian War um, grade two at Chepstow and took on horses that had got very good form to their name and uh, you know a fistful of winners and he made them look pretty ordinary of course he finished third in the champion bumper at Cheltenham last season he it was the only horse trained in Britain in the first 11 home in that particular contest there were only five British trained horses in the race full stop I think it was five um and he does look very exciting indeed. Paul Nichols mentioned after his Chepstow win that he was thinking about the Chalo. Um, I mean, he's farmed the Persian War in recent years, uh, but he's also uh, dominated the Chalo when it, the, the last three editions of it and five overall. And Captain Teague looked like he was in the kind of mould of... Um, he was sort of replicating Valley Henry, who won the race on debut for Cornicles before, but he looked like he was in the kind of mould in terms of quality as McFabulous or Silvaniaco Conte as previous winners of the Persian War. And yes, you would expect him to be able to take a, a good step forward here. But he's up against some very good horses. I mean, the big doyen is a second season novice hurdler with a high class uh, form to his name. He was unfortunate, well, not unfortunate, but he passed the line first and was demoted as a novice uh, the last season. So, you know, he's a novice in kind of in name only going into this season. And we've also got some improved, uh, improved horse in Kimbara. Um, and then there's Manella Missile for Evan, William, uh, Evan Williams. And that horse is totally unexposed and could be quite exciting. Yeah, and Kim Barr is obviously trained by John McConnell and he shouldn't be yeah. underestimated at all with anything he sends over here. He showed that at the last meeting. Absolutely, absolutely. He is a force to, force to be reckoned with and finally got his uh, Cheltenham Festival win after some unlucky reverses at last season. And talking of horses that got their festival win, Stage Star runs in the Paddy Power on Saturday. It's obviously the feature race of the meeting. Uh, it takes on not long till May, who we beat in the 
in the Turners by three and a quarter lengths. Got the real whacker in there, unexpected party, the novice. It's a really good race, isn't it? It looks a tremendous race, actually. Really, really good. Um, and it will be an interesting tester of the worth of the brand advisory form, the real whacker. And of course, its quality has already been advertised by Jerry Colomb's winning the champion chase at Dan Royal. And the Turner's chase form that you just outlined, that was a race that stage star dominated from start to finish before going on to disappoint at Aintree. Um, my sense is that the brand advisory was much deeper than the Turner's. Um, and I expect the real Wacker to run really well. And I think this horse in distance um, it's, uh, will, will suit him ideally. I mean, I, I think he's effective at shorter and stays a bit longer. I don't see him as a gold cup type in the way that I do Jerry Colomb. And I think it's possible for him to be able to carry top weight to victory here. Ruby Walsh on Road to Cheltenham, which began last night, the, the new series, uh, asked the question about whether not long till May's stamina might be tested by this kind of trip. Um, clearly, it's the uh, old course and not the new course, but he felt that his um, stamina was coming to the, uh, an end um, in the Turners. Um, so maybe he'll be helped by the switch to the new course, which is, which is sharper. Um, but that was a question mark in Ruby's head, at least. And Angel's Breath, I thought he could be quite an interesting contender. He was obviously with Nicky Henderson before he moved to Sam Thomas. Um, and at the time, they thought he was proper grade one horse. He's he's obviously had his issues, but he made quite a nice start to the season at Cheltenham three weeks ago when he finished second. I don't think he could rule him out, and he's sort of 12 to 1 mark, isn't he? Sort of for, yeah, for he, a place. Yeah, he, def- he definitely did run really well behind Pinnacle Peak. And the encouraging thing about the fact he's turning up on Saturday is that that is two uh, runs quite close together because if you look at his profile, his last three runs, there are quite big gaps between them. Um, and then prior to that, he hadn't actually set foot on a race course since December 2019. So, yeah, the question is how much of that ability does he retain? But there were certainly promising signs last time we saw him. And as we speak, we've still got 25 minutes to go until declarations are released for Sunday. But we're expecting Edward Stone and John Bond to clash in the Schler chase. John Bond's currently two to one on. Does he deserve to be? Yes, I think he, I think he probably does. I mean, Edwardson has got a high level of form, but that, that it's really you have to wonder what happened last time in the Queen Mother Champion Chase, whether he was mm. never going from the start. Now, if that means that he just had a very bad off day then he will be a a force for John Bond to reckon with. But Alan King had been thinking coming into this season prior to the the unfortunate news that Energomen would be out for the season. He was thinking of stepping Edmiston up in trip. Now the Schler on Sunday, I think, will help him decide how he campaigns the horse this season. So I hope he does lay down a serious threat to to John Bond. Um, And similarly, uh, Nicky Henderson's going to have to think about how to campaign John Bond. But we were talking again on Road to Cheltenham last night about Willie Mullins's uh, team of horses. And you would think now that um, El Fabiola will take the favourite child route amongst the two-mile chasers and so start off in the hilly way. But if you look down at all of his other two-mile chasers, who I think would appear from the outside to be perceived as sort of division down from El Fabiolo. The key ones, the likes of Gentleman Denis and Dino Blue the Mayor, are both also owned by J.P. McManus. So I'm just wondering, the likelihood of any of Willie Mullins's two-milers coming over and posing a threat to John Bond, well, unfortunately, that might be questionable this season. So Nicky Henderson, provided he's able to take down um, Edwardston, could have a uh, not a free pass but you know what i mean that his his, mm. his way through the season might be comparatively easier than it would be 
um, in Ireland, which is the story of British and, and Irish jump racing in recent seasons and isn't a good thing for British racing. We should also mention Nibi Negre, who's the dual title holder um, of the Schler. He won an, uh, a very one-sided contest uh, 12 months ago. Um, and doesn't seem to be the horse that he was. Uh, there's Editor De Gite, who made a reappearance in the Halden Gold Cup. That very much looked like a needed-a-run type out- outing, and he was ridden ac- accordingly, patiently ridden, rather than trying to dominate. And then there's Dancing on My Own, who's already won over the course and distance, finally, when we saw him in October at Cheltenham. He and Bambridge are, um, are, are, are the only possible Irish raiders. And yeah, just with regards to the weather and um, the report we got earlier, it would be a bit of a worry, wouldn't it, for Numi Negra, he'd be the obvious one. And Edward Stone as well, when Alan King was on this week, he mentioned that the only excuse he could possibly offer for his disappointing run in the in the champion chase was due to the really bad ground. It might not be that bad, but, um, you know, those are the two horses who might just be a bit put off by the rain that's forecast. Absolutely, but they both they both need to run. Um, Nubi Negra, I think I'd be more concerned of the two personally. Um, I think it, it'll it'll stretch his stamina even further. Um, um, but and Edward still, well, we'll see uh, if that's what's in Alan King's mind. Something has to explain how abjectly he ran he ran that day. Um, but they both have to run. Uh, Nubi Negra, you know, he needs to take contests that are. Um, potentially winnable uh, and obviously the presence of John Bond raises a question mark about that uh, where he can and Alan King well he needs to work out what he's going to do and possibly the race of the weekend won't come from Cheltenham it'll come from Navan tomorrow Saturday in their beginners chase as Fasal Vega and In the Pocket both grade one winning novice hurdlers last season take each other on for the first time over fences uh, do you think it's a good thing Lydia that these horses meet so early on in the season Yes, I do. I think it really helps them in terms of, um, A, their connections get to work out exactly what these horses are. You know, they're properly tested. They're able to form their campaign better as a result of meeting other substantial horses rather than bossing inferiors. I think it makes the horses battle-hardened by the time they then go into deeper waters like the Cheltenham Festival, Aintree or Punchestan or even the Dublin Racing Festival. Um, Yeah, I think it, and, and obviously in terms of Irish race goers, it's a fantastic thing. And you mentioned that uh, Road to Cheltenham started this week. Did R- Ruby have anything to say about Fasal Vega? He didn't actually. We didn't. We didn't um, look ahead to the novice um, chasers uh, in this week's edition. We focused on the Stone chasers the mares who have started chasing already this season and also the two-mile chasers in the state of affairs there. Uh, novice chasers, I would imagine, will be in, t- covered in detail in next week's edition. I mean, I think that Fasal Vega will come on a... Will, I think he's got the best form coming into this race in terms of being a novice hurdler, and I think he'll advance that form as a chaser. I think he'll be, it's a, it's, it's re- it'll be really good for him. Uh, but in the pocket is a substantial rival, rival quite literally, <laughs> in that he is built to make... To 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 be a to be a chaser, so I'm really looking forward to that. And they're not the only horses of quality potentially in that race. So I think that'll be a very very informative beginners chase. I mean, in terms of what we talked about, a uh, road to Cheltenham. Um, both Ruby and I were impressed with Jerry Colomb's victory in the Champion Chase, albeit that Ruby was a little critical of Jack Kennedy's ride in winning it. Um, we both felt that the Achilles' heel with Jerry Colomb was 
the relative uh, uh, stationariness with which he exits a fence as compared to Galopin Deschamps, for example, the title holder and one of the better Gold Cup winners in recent seasons, how swiftly he gets away from a fence when, when, he's, when he's jumping it well um, and his jumping had generally improved. So from Jerry Colomb, you'll be looking for an improved performance in that department next time we see him. And I think that st- slowness away from obstacles is what, what was the difference between him and the real Wacker in the Brown Advisory. Ruby Foot of Babette for the um, Ryanair on the basis of the, that, that Dan Royal Grade 1. He thought that 16 to 1 about the reigning champion Envoy Allen was too long, bearing in mind that, that um, being beaten by Jerry Colomb was much better form than he managed when winning the race 12 months earlier. I wondered whether Allegory Vassi might be better over two miles rather than um, over further. And we also introduced um, a new concept that we'll be using on Road to Shelton during the course of the new series, which is uh, Race IQ. They're a team that are looking to bring um, data analysis to um, to jump and flat racing, but obviously jump racing for Road to Cheltenham, uh, in order to broaden and deepen understanding of it and hopefully answer some questions about why what impact X had on the race. And so last night we talked about lengths gained jumping and also speed recovery time, and we focused on uh, both the Gold Cup, where um, Braveman's gained, gained a total of 6.42 lengths in the field, and Gallopin Deschamps lost 2.63 lengths on the field, but still managed to win. And it may be suggested that the latter fences, where Gallopin Deschamps really did start gaining ground at his fences, are, as a general point, the most important in a race. And we also talked about the Charlie Hall and that error at the final fence from Brave Man's Game. Um, it cost him only 0.85 lengths as compared to the 1.75 lengths he was beaten. But the recovery time was 1.4 seconds longer to regain his speed after the mistake than Gentleman's Game. So it was that that actually lost him the race, the, the recovery time uh, and the, sort of the, the, impact, the impact of the fall of the, of the mistake rather than actually the ground that he lost from the mistake. Yeah, it's a really interesting new technology that's being introduced. I managed to cut, catch a couple of clips of it last night. Is that something that'll be implemented in the UK and Ireland as well? Yeah, from Ireland, in Ireland from January the 1st, we hope it's already, um, we've already started, or the Race IQ team have already started in Britain and also put in some historic data as well and it's something we're going to be learning about uh you know as i said last night on the show that ruby neither ruby nor i felt that we you know we had a a total handle on what the data means just yet but it's really interesting to build up a database learn as the data accrues and that's something i hope that road to cheltenham views will be able to to do with us and help us develop it as well so you can always check out road to cheltenham on the racing tv uh uh, dot com forward slash road to Cheltenham website uh, and also via the YouTube channels if you want to catch up with uh, last night's show. Well, Ruby might not have given anything away with regards to Fasal Vega on road to Cheltenham, but Dave Keener spoke to his jockey Paul Townend yesterday and first they discussed the chances of Dysart Dynamo in tomorrow's Fortria chase at Navant grade two over two miles. Yeah, two of them are going there in good order. Uh, the conditions suit Dicer Dynamo. He um, ran into El Fabiola a couple of times last year, but uh, without him around, he'd have had a tremendous season. So, uh, as I say, the conditions suit, and it's a nice place to start him off. Fasile Vega uh, was a, a star novice hurdler last year, I suppose. One we're really looking forward to getting going over fences. I think chasing can improve him, maybe even. So, uh, as I say, schooling's been really good, and looking forward to getting him up on the track. 
And more from Navin and from Dave Keener, as here he is speaking to Henry de Bromhead. Henry, the Navin Racing Festival, it's the first year of it, and you've four proper horses on the first day. You might start off with, she's a fine wine in the in the novice hurdle, very impressive at Limerick. Yes, lovely mare. She's just joined us, owned by uh, the Dempseys. Yeah, lovely filly. She won nicely at Limerick. We'll see now, yeah, going into a, a good novice and see how we get on. And Bob, it's good to see him back in the, uh, in the Liz Mullen hurdle. Yeah, it's lovely to have him back. He's in great form at home. Obviously, last season was a bit disappointing with him. We're happy with him and we need to start somewhere. And Captain Guinness, very impressive when he won the Fortria last year, first run of the season. On ratings, he's the best horse in the race. What kind of shape is he in on the lead-up to this year's renewal? Yeah, he's in great form, really well. Um, I think, uh, yeah, on ratings he is, but we have to give Dysart Dynamo a bit uh, of weight, £9. So that ha- probably has him better than us on ratings. But our lad's in great form. He won the race last year. It's lovely to get him out started. And all eyes will be on the beginner's chase. Facile Vega and in the pocket. This is a, a habit of throwing up very, very good horses. What kind of shape? shape is your horse in he was developed into a high class novice last season yeah our guy's in great form and we're looking forward to getting him out he's been schooling well at home obviously it's a very good race but sure look we need to get started and gordon has lots in the dry town you've three uh, declarations tomorrow morning ain't that a shame watch house cross and largy debut is the plan to run all three yeah plan is to run the three at the moment yeah they all seem in good form looking forward to it our thanks to dave keener for his interviews there with paul townend and henry de bromhead Lydia at Cheltenham this weekend or over the next three days, they're going to make a real effort to try and get people to sign the petition, the stop the implementation of betting affordability slash financial risk checks. It's currently up to 85,202 signatures. Uh, needs to hit the magic number of 100,000 to be considered for debate in Parliament. Is it disappointing that we're struggling to get to 100,000? Yes, it is. But I think there's uh, potentially plenty of reasons for that. This petition, of course, was created by Duckleb Racecourse's chief executive, Nevin Truesdale. It's got until the 1st of May to reach that magic number. Um, you can look into, if you go click on the website, who has signed by constituency. If you have a look at the five horse racing constituencies, as you would expect it, the higher proportion of people have signed than other constituencies. But in absolute numbers, uh, those numbers are far, far lower than those in those communities whose livelihoods rely on the horse racing industry. So last time I looked, Thirsk and Moulton, 564 signatures, 0.55% of the constituents. Richmond, Yorkshire, uh, which is where Midland is, and Rishi Sumac, the Prime Minister's constituency as well, 442 uh, signatures, 0.4%. Newbury, which of course includes Lambourne, 672, 0.6%. New, uh, New Market, South East Cambridgeshire, uh, 584, 0.48%. And New Market, West Suffolk, uh, 1,069, 0.88%. So those numbers in racing constituencies, though high, they're higher than the rest of the country, are disappointing. And so you can speculate as to why that might be. I mean, you'd think, well, do the people in, in the racing and bloodstock industries and ancillary services think that betting has nothing to do with them? they, you know, or, or maybe they think it shouldn't have anything to do with them and that we'll be much better without those pesky punters. But that's a fundamental misunderstanding of how horse racing is funded almost everywhere around the world, and especially in Great Britain. We saw during COVID the effect of having no income whatsoever 
and that um, what, uh, what that did to the, potentially the racing industry. And then when it, the, the, the sport started up immediately afterwards in the resumption, it was reliant solely on the income from from betting, so from punters betting on the races, and that's the only reason that the sport was able to recover. So that seems to be a lesson that's been completely forgotten in a ridiculously short um, period of time. Um, and this sort of um, divide that I think has, can be perceived between the racing industry and the betting industry, and, and the sort of sense that punters are in some way looked down on or seen as sort of a, a, a dirty part of the sport, well, that can have a knock-on effect on punters, you would think. And many of them might be thinking, well, you need us now, do you? You know, where are you when we were talking about being restricted and closing when we wanted to express our interested uh, interest in horse racing via betting and in sometimes very you know small amounts, and yet we were still being being restricted. You know, why why didn't were you concerned about that horse racing when you were making commercial agreements with bookmakers? Some punters might feel it's got nothing to do with them because they don't spend that much. Um, and others might feel that the petition isn't worded correctly because they, they think affordability checks are already happening, which they are. Um, and maybe some people think that the only people shouting about petition are you know, gamblers who don't contribute to the levy, i.e. ones that win. So there are lots of different dynamics, I think, going on here. But there's also been some developments, haven't there, in terms of what's been said by the government. And, and, and they have also made a response to the petition. Yes, I did read some of these responses yesterday. What's been said? Um, So the gambling minister, Stuart Andrew, told the Houses of Commons on Thursday morning that the current system was inconsistent in terms of uh, affordability checks and that the government will be seeking a uniform approach. Now, that is really significant because it acknowledges that affordability checks are being carried out already, which... Uh, punters uh, would would know is the case anyway, but the Gambling Commission has already uh, has always said that they have never mandated for these things to be happening or that they shouldn't be happening. So this is a, a significant point in time, I think. And the stress was that uh, that a check should be uh, truly fictionless. Also in that article, David Armstrong, who is the chief executive of the Racecourse Association, has been quoted. He revealed that uh, while a system of frictionless checks was thought to be close to the for the lower tier of affordability checks proposed in the government's white paper, that is not the case for the enhanced checks at higher levels of spend due to issues surrounding the sharing of data and GDPR rules. And he was talking about needing a pilot of frictionless tests before anything could possibly be agreed for. Um, and he, he made the key point that the good point is that it means that DCMS, uh, the Department of Culture, Media and Sports, has realised that bookmakers have already implemented affordability checks and are therefore already causing financial harm to horse racing. And this came as a result of a question from Louis French, who's the Conservative MP for Old Bexley and Sidcup. And also, the government also responded to the petition that you just mentioned. And in that uh, response, it says that the Government and Gambling Commission recognise concerns some have with the proposed system of financial risk checks for the highest spending online customers to help identify and tackle gambling-related harm. We share the goals that the checks should not over-regulate the gambling sector, should not unduly disrupt the millions of people who gamble without suffering harm, and should not cause unnecessary damage to sectors which rely on betting, in particular horse racing. The Government is a strong supporter of horse racing, and recognises that it is not the job 
of either the government or the Gambling Commission to tell people how to spend their money. As outlined in the White Paper, we are seeking to balance this freedom with the necessary action to tackle the devastating consequences which harmful gambling can have for individuals and communities. Now, it was noticeable that uh, Gambling Commission Chief Executive Andrew Rhodes um, resorted earlier in this week to mischaracterising the position as a call for, and I quote, unlimited and quite literally unchecked gambling losses on a sport to support growth and continuation of that sport. And uh, that is, uh, as Bill Barber wrote in the Racing Post on Tuesday, a straw man argument. And, you know, it's not the first time that Andrew Rhodes has mischaracterised uh, criticism of his commission's policies by painting what has been said as more ex- as, as extreme rather than balanced and rational. Um, what is needed from the Gambling Commission is clarity, transparency, consistency, fairness and a right of appeal. And, you know, when measures are taken to tackle affordability, they need to be proportionate and they need to understand betting uh, where they need to exist. Uh, for anti-money laundering and for um, changing the balance of the customer base, which is Andrew Rhodes's uh, euphemism for closing people who win, what punters need to know is that affordability and anti-money laundering are not being used as a camouflage for just closing people whose, whose gambling is inconvenient to the betting company. And whether betting companies should be allowed to do that requires some open debate. What is really needed here is a grown-up conversation about all of these subjects, including whether... Um, closing profitable, uh, non-profitable customers from the bookmaker's perspective is valid and whether a minimum bet law should be brought in as a countrywide mandate to enable people to express their interest in, say, horse racing via betting at a safe level. And it, it needs to be explained to the customer what is happening to them when they interact with bookmakers and their, uh, their, their, their terms and conditions and the actions that bookmakers take must be consistently implied and in clear terms, and an ombudsman needs to exist to ensure that what they are doing is fair and to give customers a right of appeal. Because from a customer perspective, this whole landscape is a total mess. Mm. We're up to 85,209 now. As we speak, the people are signing. It's good news. Um, but yeah, as you say, we've got we've got till the 1st of, of May, so plenty of time, and I'm, I'm sure pretty confident we'll get there. Yesterday, the BHA hearing, uh, Mick Appleby's husband and assistant, Johnny Clayton, was in a bit of hot water. What's gone on there? Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a, an unpleasant story. Uh, he's been suspended for a total of 12 weeks, six of which have been uh, suspended um, due to Johnny Clayton's complete acceptance of his fault and contrition. And this was because of having been found to engage in prejudicial conduct by contributing to a horse sustaining a significant jaw injury after he lost his temper. Uh, Twilight Jazz sustained a full thickness laceration to both sides of her mouth, back to the jawbone, in an incident in July last year. The damage was caused by the bit in the horse's mouth, um, although it could not be established whether the injury was a result of Clayton pulling down repeatedly on the lead rope or due to the horse stepping on the rope after it had been dropped by him when he was knocked to the ground by the horse. The horse was described as being very difficult to handle and would often plant herself and refuse to move or walk across people. And I'm grateful to Peter Scargill, the deputy industry editor of the Racing Post, for these details. He online attended uh, this hearing. Uh, the incident was witnessed by other members 
of, uh, and that's plural, of um, Appleby's staff who reported it. Um, James O'Mahony, who is the deputy chair of the disciplinary panel and so headed this hearing, singled out one staff member, Charlie Graham, for praise. He said that he, she was courageous in reporting what was happening. In effect, she was a whistleblower. George McGrath, who's the chief executive of the National Association of Racing Staff, spoke on behalf of Johnny Clayton, who did not attend the hearing. He said the incident was entirely out of, of character. He said, when I've spoken to Mr. Clayton, he is extremely remorseful for his actions, but perhaps more tellingly, he is very embarrassed. He is a professional horse person and prides himself on such. He's extremely contrite for his actions on that morning. Now, uh, the suspension of uh, Clayton means that for the next six weeks, um, he will be prevented from working at um, Mick Appleby. His assist, uh, he is the assistant to Mick and also his husband, um, on the yard, all representing uh, McAppleby um, at the races, although he can attend race courses in a social capacity. The mitigation that James O'Mahony took into account was no blemishes on uh, Clayton's disciplinary record uh, before this hearing, and that his immediate admission of responsibility and acceptance that the report made by staff against him was the correct action acted as mitigation. O'Mahony added... There will be many people horrified to consider that a horse in training sustains an injury like that. The horse, it was agreed, was very difficult to handle. That's all very well, but trainers and assistants have to take horses in their care as they find them. Mr Clayton also said to the vet at the time, in disrespectful language to the horse, that she was acting like a bitch. He set an, an appalling example, but I do not think he will behave ever like this again. I think that appalling example point is, is key here. And um, this is a, a general point and not aimed specifically at this case. But, you know, senior staff, the trainer, the assistant trainer, members of the trainer's family set a, 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 a culture in every yard. And that leads to what is acceptable and not acceptable in a yard. And so all members with that kind of special responsibility, you know, beyond the 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 the, the, the very detailed and weighty responsibility that every person has who closely interacts acts with a horse. I think that's, you know, that is really important. So, I mean, it's, it, you know, Mick Appleby has just had a breakthrough um, season. He's had a, a, a win in the Grade 1 Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint, you know, breaking through on the international stage. This is not, this is awful timing for him to have something like this coming out at the same time. And, um I, I, I would hope uh, that he and Mr. Clayton respond appropriately to this uh, this ruling and are able to um, take take the judgment in the way that um, uh, George McGrath uh, uh, said that uh, Mr. Clayton had, and um, having pay, having served the penalty, uh, move on from this positively. Well, we've been building up to these exciting scepter sessions as part of Tattersall's breeding stock sale. A Tuesday the 5th of December sees a classic winner uh, go under the hammer. That classic winner is last season's 1,000 guineas heroine Cachet, who has been racing in the colours of High Clear Thoroughbred Racing, whose Harry Herbert joins me now. Uh, this is a, it's quite a big moment, isn't it, Harry, for, for the industry, but also for, for, your, for your syndicate? Yeah, huge, um, huge moment, Nick. Um, um, I think, you know, it's pretty unusual for a, a you know, classic winner to, to, to you know, for Philly to come up at, for auction. <laughs> um, and, um, 
Um, for us, of course, it you know it, it rounds everything off because she was always going to come to to Pats, and um, you know sadly didn't you know, this year didn't work out for, for a couple of boring reasons. But um, you know she looks fantastic, wonderful you know race filly, and uh, for Hikley, obviously yeah hugely important filly. You know classic we're our first domestic classic winner, um, and um, a, you know a, a sort of genius buy by Jake Warren. For sixty grand odd at the uh, at the breeze ups at Tavistock, and was there ever any suggestion that you know that those who are involved in this syndicate could in some way carry this on in perpetuity, or was it always the case that you know is 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 part of the condition that no matter how good they are or how valuable they are, you you must move them on? Yeah, it is. A, it is a condition. We um we 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 um we sell all our horses by the end of their four year old year, um, except in exceptional circumstances where. Um, you know, a horse can go on at five or sometimes even six. Distinction went on for till he was seven. Um, but he was still winning, you know, listed in group races. Um, but, but as far as she's concerned, um, it was, it, we're not in the breeding business. Um, so it was always going to be a question of um, selling her. And, um, um, you know, the, 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 you know to, to present her in front of, uh, you know, the scepter session in front of the, you know, the potential world, Marketplace um, at Taps on uh, the 5th is going to be incredibly exciting. And, uh, and yes, of the, hopefully, you know, a number of the share owners will be there. And, um, you know, a lot of them haven't seen this sort of thing happen before, you know, as far as going to the sales and having a big, you know, a big moment. Um, so that'll be fun, you know, exciting build up. Um, and then, um, yeah, we've got a dinner organized afterwards, sort of. Uh, to um, hopefully settle us all down again. <laughs> You've had a pretty good, pretty good year in the in the sale ring with with Royal Patronage going to to Australia, Atrium being being sold as well. Is that is that plus cachet? Is that likely to significantly change the shape and makeup of of high clear horses for next year? Have you been able to be bolder, more ambitious? Has it given you more spending power? Um. I think um, we were fairly ambitious this, this year, um, pre, the, pre those sales, um, which of course happened after the yearling sale. So, um, yeah, we, I mean, we bought some lovely horses and, 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 you know, buy some very good stallions, very good pedigrees. And that's what we're sort of trying to do. We don't buy a lot of horses. I mean, we bought 11 or 12 yearlings um, and we might buy a couple of three breeze ups next year. Um, so, you know, our, our numbers are not, not big, but we really try and concentrate on on you know the you know buying animals that we hope um you know with good pedigrees wonderful confirmation um uh, you know we'll make their mark at a, at a at a decent level and you know take our owners to to uh you know to some exciting places but yeah i mean we've got a couple of wooden bassets and um you know we've got some you know really exciting stuff um churchill and very excited by gay ass new crop um and um, we've got a couple of those a cult and a filly um, you know, Blue Point and Zoo Star, and you know, really, really exciting stallions, and and you know, nice pedigrees underneath them. So, you know, that we've had our yearling parades, and that went well. And you know, we, you know, we'll go on selling till we sell the last share, obviously. But uh, you know, the um, initially it's gone very well, and you know, actually watching some of them being broken yesterday, and it's a very, you know, very exciting moment um, seeing them backed and ridden away, and uh, you know, get a totally different perspective. So. Yeah, exciting times in that regard. Well, Harry, there might be another classic winner amongst them. Um, best of luck with Cache and the Sail Ring, Tuesday the 5th of December at the Scepter Sessions. Thanks so much for talking to me. Thanks so much, Nick. Thank you. 
Again, even when I'm going through the sales ring, it's incredibly exciting and it will be fascinating to see what she makes, along with so many others of those in the Scepter session at Tattersall's. Now, Lydia, before you rush off to Cheltenham, can I get a tip for you, please? And are you going to go to Cheltenham with your tip? I am the 145, the second race, the mucking brilliant Paddy Power Handicap <laughs> Chase. And uh, I think that uh, the handicappers have been quite kind to Calico, um, sticking him on the same mark as previously, having been, he was going to be um, second in the Maghill Chase when he fell at the last behind John Bond. Um, that was improved form. Prior to that, he had also been improving. I think he's going to be very well suited by the trip. I acknowledge that the horse at the, at the foot of the um, of the handicap is also uh, a, a horse that could be could be pretty pretty decent. Bally Breeze for Samuel Drinkwater. Um, but I think that um, I'm going to be going with Calico, who at the time of uh, looking is the third favourite in the 145 at Cheltenham today. My thanks to Lydia and thanks to all my guests today. I'll shortly be popping the television on, as I'm sure you all will be, to watch the action from Cheltenham later, and then I'll be heading there tomorrow for the rest of the weekend. I'll be back later on with the Saturday edition from 9pm, and Nick will be back on Monday. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily. Brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.